running gold thing. San Diego Padres, I'm running gold thing. I'm running gold thing. It's never the same. Dominic and James Paz games always the same. This ain't your grandpappy's team. They changing the game. Seventh inning start the rally. They changing the game. Fernando, Tatis, going yard, hitting seats. Maya's in Machado, snatching victory from defeat. Hosmer says we're nasty, now the world about to see. They call it Slam Diego, now the world about to see. Please don't think we them same old paws, paws. Trading players and lacking stars. Please don't think we them same old paws, paws. Trading players and lacking a brown and gold thing. 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 San Diego Padres. Welcome, folks, to the East Village Times podcast. This is episode number 152, and we'll be joined by Keith Law shortly, senior baseball writer for The Athletic. What's going on, Dominic? How are you doing? Uh, no baseball news, no relevant baseball news. Well, uh, I mean, depends what you consider to be relevant. Well, like, yeah, that's true. There, there are rumblings with the, uh, with the labor talks, and we're recording this on Friday. It's probably going to get released on Saturday. Yeah. There, there are hopes that when the two sides are supposed to meet on Saturday, that some progress can be made. The owners are supposed to be giving their first proposal in almost a month at this point. Uh, the owner, I'm, I'm so fed up with the owners, James. It's, <laughs> it's absurd. And like some people, I think for, for the most part, from what I see from Padres fans on Twitter, is they don't carry the owner's weight, but I mean, I see a lot of people be like, oh man, well, you know, the players, like they should just be thankful for everything. It's just like, no, like, yeah. A lot, Cause I mean, we're not going to go too far into this, but like the, the players are fighting for the guys who are just coming out of the minor leagues and are yeah. yet to reach arbitration. That That's what, that's who they're fighting for here. And yeah, it's a mess. It's, 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 a, it's just a mess. And I mean, I, I said there was no relevant news, but I guess there is because Rob Manfred made an uh, announcement the other day that a universal DH should be in play for the National League. So uh, Padre fans can count on a DH full-time. So there, there is some news. The um, only time the Padres have made the playoffs in the last 15 years was when they had the DH. So There you go. There's there's that tidbit of information. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, obviously things have to open up. We'll have to wait and see how the Padres address this lack of of a dh i guess you you should say because at this point they don't have one um i don't know it's interesting but you mentioned that tomorrow saturday hopefully we'll hear some moving in this regard i I don't i don't know man it's it's frustrating to talk about the major league uh team right now so that's why we're here and we're going to talk to keith law about some prospects right dominic yeah, and Keith, he just released his Padres list on Thursday, so it's pretty fresh. We know that not everyone has an athletic subscription, which is a shame. You should all be subscribed to the athletics. You could read Keith, uh, Dennis, Ken, Jason, all, all of the baseball guys work, uh, especially Dennis for us Padres fans. Uh, and so he can also explain for those who have read like more in depth because you know you can't. Kept, he keeps the article short 
couple sentences on each player, but uh, we know that he'll, he'll go even deeper in on some of these guys, talk for them about for a couple minutes. Yeah. Re- really exciting stuff from Keith. Um, we will be right back with, with Keith law. Let, let's, let's just not even uh, draw this out any further. Let's, let's talk some prospects uh, with Mr. Keith law. All right. Welcome back folks. Uh, thank you for joining in episode number 152 of the East village times podcast. Uh, Mr. Keith Law is here today, a senior baseball writer for The Athletic, just dropped his Padres top 20 list uh, yesterday as we record on Friday. Uh, Thursday it came out. Uh, awesome stuff, Keith. What's going on? How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Busy, busy, but almost done. Yeah. I have three, three more teams to do, and then I'm wow. all finished. Yeah. That's, give us a little bit about uh, gathering information for, for, for composing a list like this for each team. That's got to be just a lot of work. It is. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's really what it is. It's a lot of work and there's no shortcuts. There's no easier way to get around it. It's just a lot of information gathering and the constant gnawing fear that I haven't gathered enough, right? There's just, you can't, right? There's too many players and one person, there are too many players out there to cover. And of course, too many differing opinions too. I try to find at least one independent person who's seen each of these players. It, sometimes that's myself. Um, often it's other scouts. And then of course I get information from each of the teams and I have access to some video and some stats. And there's obviously a lot of stats that are public. And once I have the information, it's just grinding through, right? It's just player by player, note by note that it's very time consuming, but it's sort of easier once I've done, right. I've got all the notes. I've got all the research. I might get through that. And, oh, just now I just texted somebody about a particular player in the Red Sox system because I didn't see him last year. And I didn't like the quality of the notes that I had. I thought it might need a little bit more information. So there'll be a bunch of that, but then it's just grinding through usually two to three teams a day is about what I can get through, which is, you know, what do they run? Like two, thousand words each, maybe something like, depending on how good the system is. And then, yeah, I just try to balance, try to budget enough time ahead of, right. If I have to have them all done by this date, how many days earlier do I have to start to be able to get through them? Yeah. It was funny. Cause I saw you tweet, uh, when someone was like, wow, like, do you just not like look at any of these other lists? And you're like, yeah, cause those lists are made by other people. And I made this list. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny and it's awesome to see your work and then also compare it and see what other people are saying because you all hear different things, which is great. Right. Please look at fan graphs, look at baseball America and look at MLB when their list comes. I know their lists haven't come out yet, obviously because the lockout, but they're coming. But you know, the thing that you know, Eric and JJ and his crew, Jonathan and Jim over at baseball America, Kylie at ESPN, the one thing we all have in common, we disagree on players, but we all know each other we see each other a lot during the year we talk offline about players and where we're going and what are we hearing so you know we're all going for the same goal and what i think we all share is we really like players but we we all do this full time right and you cannot do i've said for years you can't do this prospect stuff as a part-time thing you have to be completely devoted to doing it to the information gathering and the going to games and then the it's the synthesis of all the information that i think really ends up taking up a huge amount of of time even if it's just a matter of talking to people and then the the sort of 
mental work that goes into, sorry, I have this information, this information, this information. How do I bring it all together? And so we all do the same thing. You know, I, Eric's the one probably I talk to the most of that group. And I know we go through a lot of the same processes, but of course we're going to come to different conclusions. We see players on different days. We talk to different sources. We weigh different things differently. You know, there might be, I don't, I'm just going to make something up. Maybe he thinks fastball spin rate is more important than I do. And I think that spin axis is more important on a breaking, but you know, it's, there's lots of different ways to go after this. And, but I encourage people look at the other list. Just don't come to me and say, well, Eric said this, so you're wrong. That's not really going to convince me. <laughs> no, it, I just thought that was funny, but uh, one, one thing that you and some of the other writers have disagreed on is Mackenzie Gore. And he's just such a fascinating prospect because we've seen his, his peak in the minor leagues. I mean, he was dominant in 2019. We've also seen some of his flaws. I mean, how hard is it to rank a player like that? He, those the two hardest types of players to rank are the Mackenzie Gore types where we know what he's capable of doing, right? This is not just tools. There is, there is some history of performance. And then the guy has an almost inexplicable bad year. And the other hardest guy to rank is the guy who didn't play because he got hurt. Uh, and there's always a few of those, but it's just easier to, I think, point to the guy who got hurt and say, I'm just going to move him down. But when he comes back, we'll put him back. You know, we'll see, you know, it's usually pitchers. He comes back. If the stuff is okay, put him right back in the same spot he was in before with someone like Gore. And where we have some idea what happened and we got to see him after, I mean, you guys know the story. I'm sure your listeners do, right? Padres shut him down, rework the delivery, try to simplify it. We see him in fall league, one outing where it's, that's the guy, that's him. That's a top 10, top 20 prospect. Second outing, the delivery regresses a little bit. Now the same concerns are there. So what do you do? Do you rank him entirely on potential? That feels like it underweighs the risk. Do you take him off the list entirely because his season was so bad and he's so risky to me, that seems to underweigh the potential. We know this guy could be a top of the rotation starter. Now, maybe that's not really quite true anymore, but he certainly could be an above average major league starter. And I think taking him off the list entirely would insufficiently credit him for having that upside. And so I tried to find a bit of a middle ground and just put him in the way that I, the, the way that I rank all these players is not, statistical people ask if I have some sort of calculation that leads to the ordering of the players in the top 100. Now it's very, I, I don't want to do that deliberately because there's a whole false precision fallacy that goes into that. Instead it's would I take Mackenzie Gore or this guy, right? Take Mackenzie Gore or this guy. I put together a list. I send it to a bunch of people in front offices. They come back to me with feedback and they say, okay, move this guy up, this guy down. Oh, our model really likes this player or a scout said this guy wasn't that good. So it's an iterative process. And it is deliberately not quantitative. I want this to be more opinion-based, more subjective, because it's also, if I just do it model based off a model or some kind of formula, you know, one, it's that false precision issue. And two, it's probably not going to be that informative. It's going to be something people could just probably do by themselves more easily. And then I'm not doing my job. My job is to give you guys, the readers, information that you can't get by yourselves. Yeah, no, it the way that you do it, I think is awesome. And it's different from what some of the other sites do. So it's fantastic. And uh, with your rankings, you put CJ Abrams, uh, Padres top prospect at number five in your top 100. Uh, so you're very clearly high on him. So is everyone else. Uh, what do you think his 2022 season is going to look like? Because obviously he had the season ending injury in 2021, but uh, where's he going to progress and where do you think he could play? 
I think he's going to be ready for the major sooner rather than later. Um, he can really play shortstop. That's not really in question. I think he's not going to have any trouble hitting. He certainly didn't have any trouble last year. He lost a lot of at-bats. And if the Padres just say, we want to give him at least a half year in the minors to make up for the at-bats he lost and to kind of slow play it, so to speak, I could understand that. I could also understand them saying, sending this kid to El Paso is just going to be a waste of time. It's too good a place to hit. He's advanced enough. He's going to put up silly numbers and it's not going to tell us that much. And that we'd rather, maybe if you start him in double A, but say that then the plan is as soon as he's succeeded in passing that level, we're going to jump into the big leagues. Then you get to the second part of the equation, which you hinted at, right? Where's he going to play? He's a shortstop. He's probably their best option at shortstop. The guy they have at shortstop is going to win an MVP award at some point, even though the right thing for him and the organization might be to move him off shortstop. That's really easy for me to say. I'm not there. And I don't have to go to the $300 million guy and say, we want to put you in center field. Like he may not want to do that. And I understand. I could understand his hesitation. Um, yeah, the best, the most compelling argument I think they could make, and obviously I'm a huge Tatis guy, I always have been, but I think, and I think he could stay at shortstop. He'll never be great there, but he he can play the position. The most compelling argument might be, we're going to move you to try to keep you healthy. I I would probably advocate that at this point and say, we have somebody who can come in who can play shortstop. So we don't need you to be a shortstop, but what we do need you to do is play 150 games this year. And the best way to do that is to move you to a less demanding position. Okay. So what you're saying is you think that right now Abrams is superior defensively than, than what we're seeing from Tatis? I think so. Okay. I think so. You know, to put a confidence, put an error bar around that, but I think that's true. Uh, okay. And Abrams, the, the only thing that's really changed for me about Abrams from high school to now is the power that he's hitting the ball much harder. You know, I thought he was lead off profile, run like hell, put the ball in play a lot, play great shortstop. The one thing that's really changed is he got a lot stronger kind of right away and has held that. And he continues to make harder contact than I would have expected. And that's how he goes from being somebody who might be like a top 30 prospect to somebody who's been in my top five for a solid year now. Yeah. Do you see a scenario where the Padres possibly open up uh, the season with CJ Abrams on the roster? I doubt it. Now, you never say never, right? Because it's AJ Preller and they do yeah. things, <laughs> which is fine, right? I respect that. I mean, I'm hoping the Royals put Bobby Witt Jr. on the roster, that the Royals say, we're probably not contenders, but we're not not contenders and we're a better team with Bobby Witt Jr. on the roster. But the thing is, Bobby Witt Jr. finished the year in AAA, played a full season, finished the year in AAA, hit all the way through. And even though I would bet you Bobby Witt Jr. probably comes out and has some contact issues at least early in his rookie season, he's, they are absolutely a better team with him on the roster with Abrams. What does he have a half season of double a and that's it. He never even came back for fall league because he had a separate unrelated injury. It's not serious, but at the same time, it was just another hundred at bats he could have gotten and he didn't get. And to me, there's a better counter argument to putting him on the opening day roster because just the inexperience. Yeah, no, it definitely something to consider. And, and you're right, AJ Preller kind of does his own thing, so we'll have to wait and see what the Padres do. Yep. Um, let's move on and talk about uh, Luis Camposano, someone who's uh, intriguing, someone who you mentioned could possibly win the starting job uh, the first half of the season. Um, what kind of upside do we see in Luis Camposano as far as uh, career, if you will? Yeah, I think people have cooled a little bit on him because he you know, didn't. He wasn't great in the majors in his brief time in the majors last year, but also he didn't really play that 
regularly, right? He was on, was it opening day or very close to opening day? And then he played kind of intermittently before they sent him down. He looked a tiny bit overmatched. To me, it's like he was 22. He wasn't playing regularly. And it was one of those, let's, right? He was, I'm correct, right? He was in in April, right? So Yeah, because Nola started the season on the injured list. Right. So it was, I think part of the choice also was, what's better for Campusano? Go play at the alternate site? Because minor leagues hadn't started yet or play in the big leagues. The answer is play in the big leagues. If you're even possibly ready, the answer is get some big league time, see big league pitching, work with big league pitchers, get around the big league clubhouse a little bit. Absolutely. Completely agree with the decision there. I am not, I I really don't think I've cooled on him much, if at all. Um, And I think he did basically what you wanted him to do in AAA. I think he's a guy who's probably going to get, it's going to be high average, Adequate on base percentage, maybe a little bit below league average there, but with 20 homers and good defense behind the plate, kind of across the board, good defense behind the plate. I'm I'm in. I think that kid can really hit. And I think that's going to carry the day. And you, whether he's the opening day catcher or he's the catcher on May 15th, probably doesn't make a huge difference. Yeah, no, I think the defensive concerns will will iron themselves out as just being that he's so young. I mean, catchers t- yeah. typically take a while to develop defensively and, and develop that rapport with their pitchers and stuff. So mm-hmm. I assume that 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 uh, defense won't be an issue with him uh, eventually. Yep, I, I don't think it. But nothing I've ever seen from him would tell me that it would be. Put it that way. Yeah, this I is not. More, there's trying to. There's plenty of bad defensive catching prospects around baseball. Yeah. I don't think he's one of them. I think it's more just the complaints that that a couple of Padre pitchers made publicly last year about his defense and about playing to him and pitching to him. But I think that's more uh, just just being that he was so young and and in, in the major leagues and at a position that's that's really a premium. So um, it, it is what it is. We'll have to wait and see what we get from uh, Mr. Luis Camposano. Uh, let's move on and talk about Robert Hassel the the third, someone who's really really kind of moved up the the prospect charts, if you will. Uh, what do you like from Hassel other than, you know, the ability to get on base? What, what, what are the assets do you like from this? I mean, if there's, if you're looking for a guy in the minors who might end up with a 70 head tool, and I, I just don't put that on anyone that young ever because we just don't know. I was talking to Eric Longenhagen actually about that the other day. Would you put a 70 hit tool on a high school kid ever? Yeah. I don't know that I have the guts to do that. Maybe if I were a younger man and more foolish, but I've, I have learned <laughs> now. I, I just, we don't know. We really don't know. But now we have a year of data on Hassel. Oh, that guy might end up with a 70 hit tool. He can just really flat out hit. And he hits it hard, more than hard enough. I don't know that he's ever going to be a big power guy, right? 25 homers might be um, more, that might be out of reach. Maybe he's an 18 to 20 homer guy in peak years, but it looks like he can play center. He can run. He can really hit, really work the strike zone, uh, really work the count. I mean, really knows the strike zone. Checks a whole ton of boxes for me. And that's just a sort of a different path to be a star, right? We expect our outfielders, especially generally they're big power guys, but if you can play in the middle um, and you're going to hit for consistently high averages and high on base percentages, I don't care if it's mostly doubles power, all the rest of that stuff's going to play and, and you can be a star. And I know there's a certain very high average 80 hit tool guy in San Diego history. We don't want to say that name, but Right. You're always looking for the guy like that. Did anybody know what Tony Gwynn really was when he was coming out? Maybe we would have in a different era when we had when people were paying more attention to performance and less to tools. But in my vague recollection is that people like Tony Gwynn, but I don't think anybody thought he was going to be Hall of Famer Tony Gwynn. And, and you know what? People should tweet at me if I'm wrong. I am right? a little young. I don't remember the scouting reports, but that's sort of my recollection of 
um, how he was talked about in the peak of his career, that he'd exceeded the expectations, kind of like Wade Boggs did, who's another guy with an elite yeah. hit tool who even the Red Sox didn't realize what they had. Yeah. Well, I mean, the work ethic kind of just powered both those those athletes yes. to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's if you're you, you got to have the physical gifts to start with. But then refining the craft as a hitter is usually about work. There aren't a lot of Manny Ramirez's out of the, out in the world who just kind of came out of the womb hitting and never stopped. Yeah. Um, and it's not that Manny didn't work, but he didn't have to work on the finer points of hitting. He liked to hit. He liked to, you know, he was legendary for he'd just take BP all day. But it was not the kind of work that you're talking about with Gwynn and Boggs. And, and a lot of players do that. Corbin Carroll for the Diamondbacks this year who was hurt, you know, he played a week, uh, blew out his shoulder on a home run swing. And he was at the at chase field every time the diamondbacks had a home game, because he wanted to sit with the scouts and try to learn what he could. He's like, well, I can't play. So how else can I continue to improve? And that was what he chose. And that to me is a, Hey, that's a great marker. It's not going to make a guy a better prospect automatically, but if he's already got tools and some evidence of performance, yeah, that absolutely makes you be more confident in your future as a, as a plot prospect. Yeah. And then, what caught my eye was that you ranked Josh Mears and James Wood back to back at six and seven. And they're very similar type builds, big, tall outfielders, just insane power, but they're also really good athletes. I mean, uh, do you think that they could be playing similar roles for the Padres going forward? Obviously Mears is a little bit older than Wood, but what do you make of like the Mears and Wood comparison? Yeah, I'm glad you caught that because that was deliberate, right? These guys are cut from pretty similar cloths in terms of profile, right? It's huge power. It's power over hit. Uh, Wood's probably the better athlete. Mears is further, a little older, a little further along, more developed, play at a higher level also. So a little more confidence that we know what he is, but also a little more concern too with how much he swings and misses um, in that he's got time is less on his, it's more on Wood's side, I guess I would say, because he's a little bit younger. But both of those guys are, they're high risk very high risk, but high return, right? If you hit on a guy like that, um, no pun intended, right? If he gets to the power because he keeps the strikeouts just down enough, it's 30 homers. And um, I I am all in with the Padres taking that kind of approach on saying, you know, we're going to go, we're going to go for stars in the draft as much as possible. I think that's generally served them well. And they haven't kept all those guys. And obviously guys like Gore have had a few hiccups on the way to the big leagues. But to me, that is the right, drafting approach for them because they're probably not going to do a lot in, especially now they already have a couple of very large financial commitments. I don't know that they're going out signing any more big free agents, right? They're going to have to be able to fill around Machado and Tatis and frankly, the dead money of like Myers and Hosmer Um, and with all the money they're paying their starting rotation, everything else probably going to have to come from within or from trades, which you do from your prospect stash. And so the best way I think to accomplish all of that, particularly with your first or second picks is aim high. And I think that's what they did with Mears, And that's definitely what they did with wood. Yeah. And another player that intrigued me on your list was Robert Gasser, uh, mm-hmm. second round pick out of Houston. Uh, you said he throws 95, but he doesn't really have like a go-to off-speed pitch. It's just your description says three average pitches. Yeah. Uh, what do you think his role with the Potters could be going for? Cause he's a guy out of college. So he's probably not too far away from the bigs. Right. And the thought, my interpretation too, and obviously I've talked to, I've talked to every team about their draft after the drafts actually happened, but it was sort of, Hey, this guy's got a pretty good arm and he's left-handed. Why is he still available at this point? We should just take him right. You know, he, it works, right? His delivery works and he's shown 
good velocity and this past spring too, he was just, he was a different pitcher. He never had success, never thrown strikes like this comes out. He's a different guy. I would interpret that as, Oh, he's made some adjustments. Some of it might just be physical, just getting more coordinated, getting some more experience, but there were other things that looked different about him this year. And that says to me, maybe we can make further adjustments, right? Maybe a little change in grip or introduce a different type of pitch you feel better about being able to do that with a guy who's already shown the capacity to make some adjustments. And so to me, I think Gaster's probably a back end starter, but he's got a chance to be more than that because he's got arm strength and because he's shown the ability to make improvements that actually show up on the field in a significant fashion. So be very curious to see not just how he performs in his first full season in the San Diego system, but what it looks like. Does he show up with something different in his arsenal, right? Do they tighten a breaking ball? Do they add a cutter? Do they change a grip? Anything like that. That's the kind of guy you would try that stuff with because the raw ingredients, so to speak, are are already so good. And with Potter's new pitching coach, Ruben Niebla, coming over from Cleveland, you never know what he could be able to do with gas. They've changed a lot of player development staff too. It's no offense to Sam Ganey, who I, you know, I know I've known for a long time. I like Sam a lot, but it's there's gonna be new thinking and they're gonna try some new things with the new group. Yeah, and you had Gasser at nine, at ten, you had Sammy Zavala, and at eleven, you had Victor Acosta. Both guys played extremely well in the Dominican Summer League. Now, those games, no one can really watch the game. So a lot of Potters fans haven't seen those guys, but you've talked to people who have seen them play. Uh, how impressed were the Padres organization and other scouts with Zavala and Acosta? Yeah, it's, and I haven't seen those guys either, right? I've never been to a DSL game and it's probably not like, you know, COVID's with us for a while now. It's probably not terribly likely I will. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, people love both of those guys and people did see them. Um, I believe at least Acosta was at Instructs last year. So people did, different scouts got some looks at them mm-hmm. last year, but both guys are, they show tools. And they've shown some early feel for the strike zone, especially which is the number one thing you worry about with international free agents, because we don't have a lot of game looks at them. They're already, they already agree to terms often when they're as young as 13 or even occasionally 12. So it's not like they're out playing games like high school students are in U S Canada and Puerto Rico, where we can see at least, Hey, how often did this guy swing and miss in school or it showcases instead it's oh, this guy's 12. We're betting on a body you know, some, some, we're betting on a frame, we're betting on arm strength. You don't really know how it plays on the field. So I don't think it's definitive, but certainly when a guy goes out to the DSL and shows that he can limit his strikeouts, shows some field to draw walks, it's good, right? It's not, it does not change my whole picture of a player, but it's almost like it's a little bit of a relief. He passed the first test, right? He didn't go there and punch out 40% of the time because a lot of guys will do that because like I said, you signed them so young and something changed. There's plenty of those players who signed um, as international free agents and the team committed to them when they were like 13 or 14, Kevin Maiton, who was with Atlanta in the whole, you know, then got, made a free agent because of their Atlanta broke international signing rules, ended up with the angels. That kid basically peaked at 14. And by the time he turned 16, it was like, Oh, he's not that special anymore. <laughs> and I saw my time after he was with the angels. And I thought, what the, what, you know, what the hell were we thinking? Right. Why was this guy supposed to be the next Miguel Cabrera, the best international prospect since Sano? But you know, maybe at 14, he was, maybe he was just bigger and stronger than the other kids. And then they caught up. So to see Zavala and Acosta go out and do what they did 
is to me just a, a really, it's a relief. It's a good sign. It makes me feel better. They're going to come over. They'll probably play in the complex league this year, but you feel better going in that they'll be able to, to that they won't be overmatched. And then you can let the other aspects of development, physical and mental come into play. It's difficult ranking teenage prospects, right? I mean, especially ones that, like you said, that you don't necessarily see at bats from. So um, it's great to see the early reports from from Zavala, especially seems to have caught my eye. Uh, you mentioned the plate discipline. Do you see him as a, as a potential fast riser through the system? I know it's it's tough. It's difficult to, to judge at this point. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, I don't want to offer the caveat too, right? If you look at a lot of top 20s, I don't have a lot of DSL prospects ranked aggressively, but the Padre system is thinned out a bit, right? With all the trades, a couple of promotions. And then I'm starting to go through and say, you know, these guys are, I am a 10 and 11. You want to argue they should be a little lower, say, that's fine. I'm not going to quibble over precise placement, but it does say something, which says something about how good these kids can be, but also says something about the state of the system, right? This is not the Padre system of the last couple of years. Um, When guys do show advanced feel for the strike zone, if they come over and do it in the ACL, would not surprise me at all to see both of those guys move very quickly up to low A. My guess is they'll, they'll come for spring training. They'll stay in extended because they're babies. Yeah. Um, and so 17 of all is 17 will be 17 this year. Costa will be 18. Yeah. If they go out and do this again in the first month of the ACL, though the Padres are going to move them up. Padres are aggressive anyway. They always have been, you know, if a guy's in the ACL and he's showing really advanced field for the strikes, don't just get him out of there. Because the problem with the with the lack of the short season leagues now is you've got such a weird mix of players in the ACL. You don't want these guys facing a 22-year-old orc guys yeah. from college. Yeah. They're not learning anything. They're not learning anything. I would actually rather see those guys go up to low A for a month, even if they struggle. I think it sets them up better because they'll just get used to facing a better quality of pitching and they'll play in front of fans. What a novel concept. Yeah, I mean it's tough too. I mean these are these are teenagers coming from a different country, uh, you know, playing in Arizona, a, a whole like way different environment than they're used to. A lot of them take time to adjust in that regard. So, I mean, baseball is very mental game. So it, it's it's a matter of adjustment for these young guys, I would imagine. Um, let's move on to uh, number twelve on your list. Uh, someone who I've God, he seems like he's like 27 years old. Seems like we've been talking about him forever. And that's Tirso Ornelas. The, the swing is beautiful. The power just hasn't come. He's had a couple of injury issues. G- give me your thoughts on Tirso Ornelas and, and whether he will possibly make his debut maybe at the end of this year. I think that's aggressive. I'd be surprised if we saw him at the end of this year. I think he's got to go to double A now. He's got to perform. Like you said, the swing is great. He has some idea of the strike zone. I'm glad he went back to Mexico this winter and hit really well. Obviously, it's a tremendous place to hit. But still, any performance for him is good. Any, any positive performance. He was given a wrist injury a couple of years ago. He really just didn't hit in 19 and loses 2020 a year. I think he really could have used. You know, he's he's still young. So like you said, he's been in the system forever. That's what happens with these very sort of high-profile, high-dollar figure international free agents. But also there's a point too where you say, okay, that's got to, it has to play out on the field, right? We need to see in Ornelas's case, he's a corner outfield. He's got to hit for some power. And I don't care if it's 40 doubles or if it's 20 homers, but we need something. And we're, we hadn't really seen enough of that yet. A little bit in winter ball, but I don't want to read too much into data from that particular league, uh, given what the stats are typically like down there. Mm-hmm. He's going to go to double A this year. And you know if he starts hitting for some power, I'd be shocked if he went from, Last year, where what was his ISO about 140 points? You know, if that gets up to 200 points of ISO, I'd consider that a huge victory. Um, assuming everything else basically stays the same, 
but that's not going to get him to the big leagues for me by the end of the year. I think at that point it's, Hey, this guy's back on track. We got a potential everyday player here. You look to start him in triple a in 23. And then he makes his debut at some point after that, that to me is a not unrealistic, but positive scenario for him. Yeah. I mean, he's still 22, so there's still time for him to adjust and, and get better. I think that it's just that we've heard, heard his name since he was 16, 17 on these lists. So it's, it, it's kind of a, I don't want to say disappointment, but, but, but fans probably expected a little better from him at this yeah, point. Yeah, I did. I absolutely did. Yeah, I liked him. I saw him. I saw him when he was 16 or 17. Yeah, I saw the video first. Then I saw him in Peoria. I want that swing. Yeah, really, right? And he wasn't a hacker, right? If, that's, if that guy had gone out and he'd been one of those 40% strikeout guys early, I was, okay, fine. He doesn't know how to hit. Move on and just forget about him. It's almost more frustrating when they show that they have some idea and the swing is good. Okay, where's the oomph? Right, yeah, the DH, give him a little more oomph. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure as as a prospect evaluator, you you kind of just shake your head like, well, what's what's the missing factor here? Why? Right, what did I miss? Yeah, it's always what it is. What did I miss? He he looks strong, but I will say sometimes you know we we get deceived by that. You know, hitting is not really just about upper body strength. You know, people think, oh, he's so jacked. Look at the size of his biceps. That's not bad. But power comes from lots of other places, wrists and forearms. That's been Andrew McCutcheon's secret basically his whole career. And most power hitters end up using their lower halves for it. So, you know, it can be a case where I'm not saying so much specifically for Tirso, but that is certainly the case for a lot of players where you look and say, oh, he's going to have power. And then you realize "Eh, it's not really translating the right way because, you know, being Mr. Universe doesn't necessarily make you a 30 home run hitter. For sure. That, that's definitely the case. Otherwise, right, we'd be talking about Gabe Kapler's Hall of Fame induction speech. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. The the chiseled Gabe Kapler. Yep. Um, let, let's talk about someone who's probably uh, a surprise to the list. Uh, came in at number 16, and that's Nerwillian Cedeno, a young uh, 20-year-old switch hitter out of the DSL. Uh, what exactly did you see in, in him that, that made you uh, rank him so high on your list? Yeah, there, you know, he missed a lot of the year last year. So this is based far more on scouting reports. Obviously we have very little data to go off of here, but he's a switch hitter. Uh, it looks like he's going to be fine at third base. I think he was originally shortstop like so many players are when they're first signed or drafted. Um, but there's a belief, not just from Padres people, but other folks you've seen in that he's going to hit for average and start to get into some power. I don't think it's big power. If I thought it was, he'd be higher on the list, obviously, but that he's going to be able to drive the ball consistently enough to get to enough doubles and you know, 15 home run power to potentially profile as a regular. He's just a very long way off and he has to play. I mean, this is just every team's list has guys like this, this year, worse than I've ever seen where it's like, why did this guy only play 40 games? Why did he only play 70 games? Oh, this guy played two weeks. They all got hurt. Everybody got hurt last year. So a lot of my reports are just like kind of similar to what I said last year because nothing changed, right? If we don't, if the player didn't look different with two weeks of performance, the heck am I going to say, well, we think he got better, but we actually have to see him play. You know, we need a full season from Cedeno to get a better read on whether this is true, whether what I'm saying about him is actually going to matter. I mean, I believe what I said is true, but whether it's going to matter, right? Is it going to play out in a meaningful fashion on the field? Yeah, and then Cedeno is someone that I wasn't too familiar with. So reading about him on your list was cool. And then also another player is Victor Lizarraga. And his read-up is fascinating because he was born in San Diego, but then moved to Mexico mm-hmm. and then signs with his former hometown team in free agency. And he's six foot four and he's got a potential four-pitch mix, uh, is what you say. 
I mean, I, I think that this could be a gold mine for the Padres here. Do you, do you think that too? Yeah, I loved it. They chased him forever too. That, that signing seemed like it was rumored for, for months after it could have become official and still they weren't able to sign him. And, you know, I know often signing players out of Mexico when they have a tent and they have some kind of uh, contract with a, a team down there can be more difficult than signing international free agents from other countries. And I think that's part of what went on. Um, I also think it's interesting too. So we have such baseball really has a stereotype of what a Mexican born pitcher um, or Mexican descent, I guess, in Lizarraga's case, pitcher looks like, right. They're all supposed to look like Fernando. Right. And this guy doesn't, that's not right. That stereotype is one, not that useful. And you know, two, it really doesn't apply to Lizarraga anyway, in that he is long and lean and projectable. And there's a sense he's going to throw a lot harder. The delivery really works. You know, there's the makings of four separate pitches there. I'm, you know, but this is what you want your international free agents to look like. And that, that it's, you know, this is not the kid who just had the growth spurt at 12, right? It looks pretty good so far at 16. You know, again, we have to see him actually go out there and pitch, but I'm pretty optimistic about this one. And, and, you know, it just seems like he has a lot of the right um, basic characteristics you'd want to see in a 16, 17 year old pitcher. One guy that you ranked below him, that caught my eye originally when I looked at the list was Brandon Valenzuela. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you started off the podcast by saying like, you know, I do care about how you perform, but it's more about like uh, the, I don't want to say the traits, but your, your skills. And you mentioned his power in his write up is the power that big of a concern because I thought he would have been higher than 17. Yeah. If he gets, if he doesn't hit for power, he's such a catch and throw guy who can put the ball in play that gets you to the big leagues for a long time. Right? Guys like if you can catch and throw and make contact, you can probably play a pretty long time, uh, but you may never be a starter may never be a good starter. You might just be a backup. There's not much power there. I don't know how much power he really projects to. If I'm wrong, he's got a chance to be a pretty good regular. He has all the other things you'd want to see, but I think that kind of caps his upside maybe as a soft regular. Um, which is why he's towards the back of their top 20 um, still valuable. You, you don't want to go out, have to go out and pay for backup or part-time catchers. But I think his chance to be a regular really depends on him finding another grade or so of power, not necessarily immediately. He just has to get there over the, over time as he continues to develop. Yeah. He, he's an intriguing prospect. The, the, the bat's intriguing switch hitter, uh, which you don't see quite often from, from catchers uh, still with only 20 years old. I think I have my yeah. Padres top 20 is pretty young. Yeah, it is. It is. There's, there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, I guess you could say with, with a lot of other players. Um, let's talk about uh, before, before everything got shut down, the Padres were able to make a, a trade with the Seattle Mariners and they picked up uh, Ray Kerr mm-hmm. and, uh, Corey Rozier, uh, outfielder. I'd love to hear your uh, impression on both Kerr major list at 20 uh, fireballing left-handed pitcher. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about Rozier as well. Someone who had intriguing numbers last year uh, after being drafted. Yeah, he, uh, well, let me start with the, with Kerr since he did actually make the the very end of my list. And he is, he's been up to 102. Um, and he punched out what I said, just looking at my own notes here, more than a third of the batters he faced. And because he's got a good slider, hitters are not just sitting on the fastball and timing it. Cause I don't care if you throw 102, right? If they know it's coming, they're probably going to hit it. We've seen plenty of guys like that. Um, this is the fact that I ranked him here gives you my belief that he's got enough of that second pitch in the slider and enough control to be able to get outs in the big leagues. And because he's 27, uh, which is ancient for a prospect, yeah. he's 
I think he's got a chance to also probably help the big league club right away. Um, as for Rosier, um, did not make my list. He's a, you know, he was an, after the 10th round, uh, I think he was actually a senior sign, um, in the last year's draft, he turned, he was turned 22 in September. Um, he shows some ability to control the strike zone can run a little bit. I, I don't know. I could be a little bit light on him, right? Cause he was a 12th rounder. And obviously I did not, I don't even think I mentioned him in Seattle's draft right up, but my guess is he's probably an organizational outfielder. He's going to have to show he can really hit to, um, to sort of disprove that. And to his credit, he went out and played a month at low a Modesto and he did really hit. So it could be that the entire industry was light on him. Yeah. Yeah. One guy you had right in front of Kerr, was Kevin Copps, a Golden Spikes Award winner at Arkansas. And he's a closer. The Potters don't really have a defined closer right now. They had they they tried to bridge Mark Melanson into something, and now he's gone. Uh, do you think Kevin Copps can be the closer in the future for the Padres? I don't know. He's so reliant on that one pitch, right? It is all sliders all the time. I remember Arkansas fans getting really mad at me this spring because I didn't have Kevin Cobbs on my top 100 for the draft. And they were like, how is he not a first rounder? Um, and he ended up going, I think basically right around pick 100, which is fine. Sure. You know, plenty of guys go in the top 100 who I didn't rank in the top 100, but he was also a 24 year old, 50 year senior, right. Who got, a, I mean, he missed a ton of bats for Arkansas in the sec, the best conference in college baseball, but he did it by throwing a slider a ton. Hun. Yeah. And I don't know if that formula is going to work in the big leagues. You do not see, you see some guys, but you do not see a lot of guys who yeah. succeed primarily by throwing a breaking ball. And it's not like he has no fastball, but the fastball is not particularly special, right? So can he use the fastball enough to get to the slider and will hitters chase the slider too? It reminds me of a guy who Scott Biddle was his name. He ended up getting hurt. I don't even know if he ever threw a pitch in the Yankee system, but he put up crazy numbers for, I think it was Ole Miss and he threw they just called it the thing, but it was some kind of slider ish weapon. And it was like, there's no way, right? This can't possibly work. Even people just doubted it because that for you, we like to see comparisons who in the big leagues has succeeded with this repertoire, with this approach, with this kind of delivery. And I look at cops and I think you're a big leaguer. He's absolutely, he stays healthy. He's a big leaguer for sure. But what does that translate to if, the fastball turns out to be a little bit problematic and he can't get to the slider consistently. And is that slider going to be effective at getting swings and misses in the zone? I, I don't know the answer to that. Right? I, I certainly have questions. Um, you know, like if they're not similar as pitchers, I remember seeing Andrew Miller as an amateur multiple times. And of course the consensus was he's the best pitcher in his draft class. He's left-handed. He's eight feet tall. He throws 97. And after he got into pro ball and started to struggle, I remember thinking back to what I'd seen from him and how much he got away with in college, throwing the slider out of the zone. College hitters would chase it. Then he got into pro ball, pro hitters wouldn't chase it. And he couldn't throw it for strikes. Will cops be able to do that and continue to succeed? I, I honestly don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there are a lot of question marks with him for sure. I mean, the, like you mentioned, there's very few pitchers that just slider you to death. Them, like a Sergio Romo. And, and yeah. that's, that's a good uh, one. Yeah. I mean, Austin Adams. Yeah. Austin. Yeah. Adams. yeah. If he gets it over the zone. Yes. Right. Whole separate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but, but yeah. they're rare. They're very, they are rare for a reason. 
Um, yeah. But then the guys who can really do it can often have long runs of success because of their rarity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at Romo. I mean, you could basically predict a slider almost every pitch and, and he was getting major league hitters out consistently. Yep. yep. Yeah, he could throw strikes. He could throw it first. He could more or less put it where he wanted as much as you yeah. can with a pitch that moves like that. Yeah. If cops shows he can do that, first of all, great. And second, then yes, the ceiling is higher than I think it is, if that's yeah. the case. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a lot of question marks there. Uh, let's talk about uh, Ethan Elliott really quickly. Um, someone who had a great year last year, uh, kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, were his numbers last year mostly because of his just funkiness and just the, the delivery and just, I don't know what, what he didn't make your top 20 nope. um, after a great year. Just wondering what, what your thoughts are on uh, Ethan Elliott. Yeah. Well, it's, the, I mean, he's not in the top 20 because the off-speed pitches aren't, they're not there, not good enough to justify that. And I think a lot of it is it's a really uncomfortable look for hitters. He gets huge extension. Uh, it's over seven feet towards the plate. And between that and him throwing a lot of strikes for the fastball has some good riding life to it. A lot of hitters, especially lefties, just probably never see the ball. Um, and hey, there are again, there are guys who break that mold, who get to the big leagues and have success primarily on deception, um, whether it's from extension, from hiding the ball, et cetera. But you want to see a better, especially for me with lefties, I really want to see a better breaking ball, right? I want to know that you're going to continue to get lefties out. When you get to left handed hitters, major league hitters in general, we're good enough to lay off to pick that up, even with the higher extension, even with some deception from that, yeah. they will start laying off. And I just, I love deception in pitchers, but I, if you go through all my rankings, even in past years, I generally don't juice guys whose main attribute is deception. Yeah. I love it. But you know, Zach Lothar and you know, Elliot throws a little harder than Lothar, but Lothar probably had a better change up um, with Baltimore. He's got seven foot plus extension uh, and he gets good spin rates on his stuff. doesn't throw very hard. And it turns out Lothar's had a hard time getting big league hitters out and more than I would have expected. And I was never a huge Lothar guy, but it's like, I get it. The ball's moving, you know, the ball's moving unpredictably and you do not see, I've seen Lothar in person and, and I've sat behind the plate and you watch him like, wow, that must've been 95 given how the hitter swung at that. And you look at the radar gun and it was 89. They just don't see it in the minors. They didn't see it. And then they get to the big leagues. It turns out big league hitters are better than minor league hitters. (laughs) Yeah. Deception will play so far, like you say, but uh, and just the amount of times that a a hitter sees a pitcher, the deception goes down and, and, and for sure. Yeah. You can't live. A pitcher cannot live on deception alone. That I believe very strongly. Definitely. Definitely. We're going to have to see some secondary from Ethan Elliott, especially if they Padres want to keep him in the rotation for sure. Um, Keith, so, so much information, so much. We, I mean, we could sit here and talk prospects with you all day. Um, Thank you so much for your time. I have one more question before we let you out. Sure. Um, Your top 100 list. uh, Do you see any Padres in the middle of your top 20 list, possibly making that list next year? So I tag for every team, a sleeper prospect or somebody who's on the 20 didn't make the global 100, but who I think has a chance to really make a big jump and make, and get onto the 100, preferably somewhere like firmly on the list, just so yeah. people don't think I'm like juking the stats, right? Put a bunch of my sleepers in at 96 yeah, like to 100. 98, yeah. Oh, what a coincidence. These guys were all sleepers for Keith yeah. last year. Yeah, no, I try not to do that. Um, Zavala was mine. 
for the Padres system. I'm not afraid to put, uh, you know, this is not a bull. I make myself sound like I'm so courageous. Um, I'm not afraid to put a, a, you know, an Arizona or Florida complex league guy in the top 100. We all do that. Right. We just feel better. I think I speak for, you know, my peers, like the guys I all listed earlier, you feel better when a guy's done it in one of those leagues in the United States versus the DSL, which is just, you know, it's great for players that age, but it's a different environment. And I'm plenty of guys have had success in the DSL and not been able, able to carry it over here. You know, the, the closer you get to the majors, the more consistent the competition gets, the more that you can read into the performance as well as the tools. So Vala comes over here and rakes in the ACL. Like I think he's going to, like a lot of folks think he's going to, then the level of confidence in the evaluation just goes up so much. And suddenly we could start, I could even just consider him as a top 100 prospect where I basically, I don't put DSL guys on the top 100 or guys who've never played who've signed as international free agents with very, very rare exceptions. You know, Miguel Sano made it for me at one point. That one worked out. Michael, Michael Inoa made it for me with the A's and that definitely did not work out. Sure. Uh, well, Keith, and we really sincerely appreciate all the hard work you do in, in completing this list and making them. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me. Again, you lost me, right? You were kind of cutting out there, but I mean, I I think both Keith and I heard that you were you were thanking him. So, yes, Keith, thank you. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate your insight. Uh, you're one of the best in the biz, and thank we you. appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. That was our conversation with Keith Law, episode 152 of the Padres EVT podcast. I'm Dominic Stern and James Clark. I mean, that, that was fantastic insight on a lot of guys. Yeah. Uh, he still has hope on Mackenzie Gore, which I, I hope is everyone's biggest takeaway. Like you, you can't just give up on someone who has shown just two years ago, the type of potential pitcher that he has. And also a lot of, a lot of optimism about some of the really young guys who are might propel the system even higher. And, you know, he says they're a middle of the pack farm system and considering how many players the potters have traded out of the farm system and just how many guys haven't like fully come out and yeah. be that good for the Padres. I mean, I think it's concerning that there is still opportunities for the future of the Padres to go along with the current present. Yeah. I, I mean, I think they're the middle of the pack right now, mostly because a lot of their prospects are, are DSL type players that are, that have so much uncertainty. So Hopefully, in, in time, the Zavalas, the the Costas, the the Cedenos, the Montesinos, people like that will will blossom and flourish uh, under the Padres' guidance and and become top prospects. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, really interesting stuff from Keith. I, I I thought I found it interesting that he thinks that C.J. Abrams is a superior defender at shortstop. Well, he said that last year too. Yeah, I I. I I'm I'm still a little surprised on that, but I mean, I, 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 that's, that's his opinion. And, and um, we'll have to wait and see, obviously their Padres can't feel two shortstops at the same time. So we'll have to wait and see what they do in that regard. Um, but just overall, just an interesting conversation with Keith for sure. Yeah. I mean, he's, he said that last year and it was funny cause he broke, he broke some news on, uh, on the podcast last year with, uh, with Luis Campusano and we kind of like, we didn't get any of that this year, or at least I don't think we did. Uh, but I mean, the Abrams Tatis thing, it's a great problem to have. There is never a problem with having too many good players. And it's quite frankly, a problem that the Padres have like quite never had. Like, yeah, we thought going into last year, oh, the Padres, you know, we got three guys who could be the ace of the team and none of the three ended up being the ace. It was Joe Musgrove. So, uh, we'll see. 
I, we saw last year that Tatis, he was very, very clear with the media and with the team that he did not like being put in the outfield. And he did it because the team said, Hey, you, you have no choice. Like we're going to put you in the outfield because it's best for your health. And we made a dumb trade for Adam Frazier. So <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I think that Tatis is probably going to end up in the outfield, but I mean, if the Potters outfield in the future is like Trent Grisham or Robert Hassel in left and center, and then Fernando Tatis Jr. in right field. I mean, that is, I mean, that outfield has the potential to be absolutely insane. And I'm not saying that Trent Grisham is going to be the player that he was in 2020 for the rest of his career. Cause we saw some of his limitations this past year, uh, struck out a little bit too much, hit the ball on the ground a little bit too much. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see, but the Padres have a backup option if Tatis can't start to figure it out defensively. And even Abrams can play the outfield. I mean, he could be a badass center fielder too. Yeah, there's there's definitely flexibility, and, and we'll just have to wait and see what the Padres do. There's, there's a lot of uh, moving parts to this team. Um, a lot of these prospects have uh, a lot of versatility to them, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, just getting Keith's uh, opinion on a lot of these guys is, is very valuable. And, and I, it's just, uh, it's just nice to be able to talk to him and, and, and kind of get his feel for what, where this Padre system is right now. Yeah. And his point about the different prospect writers was awesome. And it, we can also take that to just real life in general. Like it's important to get the facts or just information from everyone because everyone sees stuff differently. And you have to be able to say, okay, like, I see that. I see that. I see that you, you see this. I don't see that, but I see this and you don't see that. So I, I thought that was awesome. It was just a tweet that I, that I saw. Luckily, I mean, I don't have like his Twitter notifications on or anything, but uh, I saw that. I think it also might've been because Craig Goldstein, who we also had on our podcast last year uh, tweeted something about it too, because he's like, yeah, I mean, this is, this is pretty much, the truth. It's important for people to realize that with prospects and I mean, prospects aren't everything, but uh, they're fascinating because there's no right way to do prospect rankings and prospect articles. No, there isn't. I mean, it's, it's just, it's not an exact science and you kind of take a little bit of information from each one of these guys and each one of these websites and, and kind of try to formulate your own opinion. Some are right, some are wrong. And, and they're never a hundred percent correct. So it, it is what it is, but it's, it's nice to get an idea of uh, how this farm system is going from someone who's not necessarily a Padre fan, someone who doesn't necessarily care about the Padres or want to hype them up in, in any regard. So you kind of get a, a brutally honest opinion about the team and about the farm system. And that's, uh, that's definitely what we strive for. Um, all in all, great show. Uh, number 152 with Mr. Keith Law. Uh, I think that's the third, fourth time he's been on the show. Um, always a great guest. Um, Dominic, you go ahead and uh, head us out of here. I think uh, we've taken up enough time. Yes. Thank you all for listening to the Potter's EVT podcast. This was episode 152. Uh, I'm Dominic Stern. It's James Clark. You can find us on Twitter. You can find me at DM Stern 19. You can find James at EVT underscore J Clark. You can find our guest, from this podcast, Keith Law on Twitter. Uh, it's just at Keith Law. I mean, the stuff that he's releasing is fantastic. You can find his work on The Athletic. Uh, great stuff from him, as always. 
And like always, make sure to check out our content at eastvillagetimes.com. I mean, you were telling me before the podcast that uh, I don't want to say like our SDSU editor, but like our SDSU lead writer, Paul, he wrote a story on Daniel Bellinger, the Aztecs tight end who is making waves in the draft community after he had a great week at the senior bowl. So definitely make sure to read that. I know that's going to be one of the first things I do after, uh, after we're done recording this. Uh, so thank you all for tuning in. I uh, will catch you next time on the Padres East Village Champs podcast, and hopefully uh, we can get some baseball soon.